Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Hello, hello, hello. It's good to be back. Last week was a bitch. That second COVID shot, if you've not been vaccinated, everything that you've heard that's negative about that second shot is worse than they say. I got that shot on Wednesday. I had night sweats. Like, I was sweating through my sheets. My scalp was wet in the morning. Like, my face was sticky. It was bad. No cough. Just felt like complete shit. And I really did want to do last week's podcast because I had much, much to say. We'll, We'll discuss all of that this week. If you listen to the intro of the episode that ran last Friday, you kind of know what we're going to talk about today. But I had much to say, but I was like, I can't give y'all a half-ass take. (laughs) Not on Kwame Brown, but I just couldn't pull it together. Like, I could have gave y'all some dry conversation, but I could barely stay awake to record. I spent most of Thursday and Friday not just at home, but in the bed. Like, it was bad. But today... I feel like my usual self, a little surly, completely sober. I did see your well wishes to get better soon, and I thank you, thank you very much for those. I really did appreciate them. (laughs) I did get a chance to catch up on some old shows and start a new one. I said I wasn't going to watch anything new. A couple people asked me if I was going to start reviewing Run the World, and I was like, I can't take on anything else right now. I'm sorry. Same goes for The Shy. That just kicked off over the weekend. I did a a Twitter watch party in conjunction with Essence and Showtime Sunday night, last night, to promote the premiere of season four. So that was a good time. It was me, Funky Dineva, who's my boo. I've known Q for a while. Hilarious, but also highly, highly, highly intelligent. Sometimes people get caught up in the hijinks of the delivery. But if you listen to what's being said... It's a lot of good points, logical points, very, very logical at all times. So we did a good Twitter party. That was a fun time. I also started watching Mayor of Easttown. It's a limited series. It features Kate Winslet, who I will never forgive for not making room for Leonardo DiCaprio on that board in the ocean when the Titanic sunk. I'm sure she's a good person in real life, but Rose... Rose gets no forgiveness. But she's in a new show on HBO. It's a murder mystery. She plays a detective in a small town. I'm not giving any details away. I think I'd heard about this show, like when I log on to HBO to watch anything else. I had no intention of watching it. But all the smart people on my Facebook timeline were talking about this show. And I was finally like, all right, fine. I logged on not knowing what to expect. The first episode, I was like, what y'all got me watching? Because this is dry. But when it picks up, woo, child. It's a whole neighborhood of people who just lie. And not black people. Don't tune in thinking you're out to see, like, black people. That's, that's not this. There are, there are some. There are some, but it's not a black show. But it's, it's a murder mystery in, in this small town. A young woman is killed, and there's an investigation as to who her killer is. And it just... You just realize everybody in this town is a lying liar who lies with a whole bunch of secrets. It's like, y'all trifling up here. But yeah, it's a really good show. I, um, I watched the first five episodes. It's only seven episodes. Six have aired. So I'm, with breath that is baited, waiting for the conclusion. 
this coming Sunday because I have to know who killed this girl. It's really intense. And Kate Winslet is acting her ass off. Like she's giving us Meryl Streep, the viola. She's getting in that category with it. I was like, okay, Kate. Okay. It's really good. What else is going on? There's so much, Jesus. Naomi Campbell, congratulations. This is in good black news. Naomi Campbell is a mother. She recently announced that she is a new mom. She posted a picture on Instagram of her hands and the, and the little tiny feet of a baby. A baby in a gorgeous, what we could see of it, dress. She hasn't said much else, but it's, it appears that she is the new mother of a baby girl. I'm happy for her. I remember I wrote this piece for Essence.com like a really long time ago. And I want to say I was probably like in my early 30s at the time. A woman might have given birth at like 54 or something. And I wrote this piece about how isn't she too old to be a mother? <laughs> oh, I've written some asshole things. That was perhaps one of them. Because my reaction now, many years later, and still not wanting kids, by the way, is, oh, good for her. Good for Naomi. I'm happy that she has fulfilled her dream of becoming a mother. I do remember reading a couple interviews where she said that she wanted to be a mom. So good for her. Everyone was not excited, which I was kind of surprised by. Because I remember when Janet said that she was having a baby at 50, everyone was like, yay, Janet. When Tamron said, hey, I recently got married and I'm having a baby and I've got a new talk show. I mean, she released that all at the same time. Everyone was like, yay, Tamron. Hoda Cobb. Over on the Today Show, when she said she was becoming a mom at 50, I felt like people were excited. People were very like, yay, Hoda. But Naomi, it wasn't even comments on The Shade Room. I, um, I saw the announcement on Essence, I think on Facebook, and I was reading the comments, and they were just evil. They were like, isn't she like 60? No, she's 50. Calling her selfish for becoming a mom so late. Like she's going to be damn near 70 by the time the kid graduates from school. She's too old and tired to be a mom at 50 and keep up with the kid. I'm sure a man will have plenty of, of good hired help. But they just like went in. And I was thinking about how like whether people condone or disagree with something that celebrities do. Shit that's really none of our business. I mean to keep it 100. It's largely based on whether they like you or not. Because I was trying to figure out, and I was like, well, what's the difference? Like, why do people cheer for, for Tamron and Janet and Hoda, but they're not cheering for Naomi? I don't know. Is it because Naomi used to have, like, a bad attitude? And I say used to, because it's been, like, years since she was throwing phones at people. She's calmed down a lot, as she should, because she needed to. But she's been a much better person for many years now. And I was like, we still mad she was throwing phones at people and talking crazy? I also thought too, and I was like, in the case of Janet and Tamron, they were both married at the time. And I was like, I wonder if Naomi not being married plays into it. Because that pathology about single moms, we talked about this when Tanya Denise Fields was on the episode. But the vitriol for single mothers, particularly black single mothers, is some real shit. It's not like Naomi Campbell's ever going to be on the welfare rolls. And if she was, it wouldn't be in America. So I don't, I don't think that's it. Maybe because she's chosen to have a child seemingly alone. I don't know her life. I don't know if she's in a relationship or not. Just because she hasn't told the public doesn't mean shit. Because we're about to talk about two more people that have been hiding relationships. One who's been hiding children. Another one. 
So I don't know if that's it. I don't know. But those comments about Naomi were evil. And the Essence article was supportive, just to be clear. It was the comment section. And then I went over to the shade room, which I was like, I should have known. I was like, yo, people hate this lady. It's terrible. I'm also patiently waiting because I know people like I know people and I know writers like I know writers. I'm patiently waiting for the think pieces about the complexion of the baby. Because the little feet, I mean, they're baby feet, but they were light feet. You know, babies take a while sometimes to pick up their color. But Naomi being a brown woman, and I don't believe she was pregnant. I believe the baby is either via a surrogate or adopted. So I don't know what kind of DNA the baby has, but nonetheless, it's Naomi's child. There are many ways to become a mother other than birthing a child. So I don't say that to make anything lesser of her motherhood, but I'm just waiting for the commentaries about like the complexion of the babies. And if it's a surrogate, the father of the baby, especially if he ain't black. We'll see. I know people like I know people. I know how y'all do. And just to be clear, I give two shits. Kind of. It depends on the complexion of the baby. Anyway, <laughs> secret couples, kind of. Because InStyle Magazine has a whole story about it. It seems that J-Lo and Ben Affleck have reunited. She recently ended her engagement with A-Rod. And I mean recent in less than a month ago. But Madame J-Lo, also 50, if not older. She looks fucking amazing. She's been seen quote and unquote around town, i.e. Miami, with, um, with Ben Affleck. Apparently he arrived via private jet recently and, and went straight to J-Lo's house. And she was seen giving him a tour of the property, showing him around the place. The first thing folks said was like, God damn, that lady cannot be alone. Which is true. But also, some folks just don't like to be alone. Some people are that way. Some people do not like to be on their own. And I, I don't know, I kind of get it. And that's coming from an only child. Like, I mean, I am very self-sufficient. I can totally do without people. Sometimes I genuinely don't want to be bothered. When you're around somebody who's like not bothering you, who actually brings you a little joy, it's a good thing. You know, the old folks used to say, and I'm not saying they was right. I'm just saying what they used to say or what they do say. Old folks say the best way to get over somebody is get under somebody. I don't know if that's right, but I know a lot of people try it. J-Lo happens to be one of them. I just want folks to be happy. Is she happy? Then go forth. I, I just, I don't care anymore. I just, I want people to be happy. And what if, like, fuck around and find out that the reason things didn't work out with her and A-Rod is because she had, like, these longing feelings for Ben all along. Like, she loved that dude. She made that whole album about him that people were like, this is fucking trash. I actually like that album. I actually like J-Lo music, though, so maybe I'm biased. I wore that album out. Like, I really, I really liked it. Don't judge me. I was talking to a friend and uh, we were talking about J-Lo and Ben and I was like, I think it's cute. I was like, what if he's the lid for her pot? Cause you know, that's like my favorite saying now. And then I'm like, what if they didn't fit at the time, but now they've grown and now they're like a perfect fit. She was like, girl, bye. This shit ain't nothing but a distraction from A-Rod's racketeering charges. And I said, what? Racketeering charges? And she was like, exactly. She was like, everybody's talking about this breakup, this end of engagement. Everybody's talking about Ben, but she's like, ain't nobody talking about A-Rod's racketeering charges. I was like, girl, A-Rod does not have racketeering charges. That is the wildest thing I've ever heard. She was like, Google it right now. I'll wait. A-Rod does indeed have racketeering charges and embezzlement charges. I was like, what? I was like, why have I never heard this? 
And she was like, exactly, because you've been talking about his relationship with J-Lo. His former brother-in-law is accusing him of criminal activity while they were running a billion-dollar real estate business. He's actually going to trial in August to answer claims that he and his co-conspirators engaged in a pattern of racketeering and embezzlement. I was like, I had no idea. My girl was like, that's the point. It's like, J-Lo ain't with Ben. She just providing a distraction until this case is over and so she can go back and be with A-Rod. She thinks they're destined. She thinks A-Rod is the lid to J-Lo's pot. I was like, girl, where you be coming up with this shit? She's like, I ain't come up with nothing. I read the news. And just because I like to cite my sources, the story about his racketeering charges is in the Miami Herald. We're not reading from gossip sites. That's not what we do here. ASAP, Rocky, and Rihanna. Rihanna is what she calls herself. So we're going to call her Rihanna from now on. But ASAP Rocky got up in GQ and announced that he and Rihanna were a couple. And I was like, wait, what? I think I'd heard like stirrings about that. But I was like, ASAP and Rihanna? Mm -hmm. I mean, they'd be beautiful. They're gorgeous to look at together. I mean, he's gorgeous. I've had to say that about every fucked up thing he's done. He said something about like years ago, years ago, about how like dark skinned black women shouldn't wear red lipstick. And I was like, why are you even commenting on this shit? Like, what made you wake up this morning and be like, you know what? I feel passionately about dark skinned women and red lipstick so much so that I'm going to tweet about it today. Why? But he did. And he got his ass handed to him, rightfully so. But even then, I was like, yo, he's a fuck boy. Fine as shit, though. I've seen him in person. He's fine as shit, even in person. My God, he's gorgeous. That said, he loves to say some dumb shit. It's been a while, though, I think, since he said stupid shit. I remember the first round of Black Lives Matter. Because the first, remember the first time Black Lives Matter came around, it was a terrorist organization. And then, like, the second time it came around, you couldn't log on to a website to buy shoes without them being like, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, for like a month. And then he got old. Anyway, he did this interview with Time Out New York, and they asked him about, you know, Black Lives Matter or, or police brutality or, or whatever was going on with black people at the time. And he gave like the most ignorant fucking quote of all time. He said he didn't want to be forced to address political subjects. He said, quote, they're not forcing me to do shit. I'm just going to stay black and die, which literally is my favorite quote of black people. I ain't got to do shit, but stay black and die. He continues. So every time something happens, because I'm black, I got to stand up. What the fuck am I? Al Sharpton now? I'm ASAP Rocky. I did not sign up to be no political activist. I want to talk about motherfucking lean, my best friend dying, the girls that come in and out of my life, the jiggy fashion that I wear, my new inspirations and drugs. I don't want to talk about no fucking Ferguson and shit because I don't live over there. I live in fucking Soho and Beverly Hills. I can't relate. I'm in the studio, I'm in these fashion studios, I'm in these bitches' drawers. I'm not doing anything outside of that. That's my life. He also did a talk at Oxford University, which I was like, Oxford University is inviting ASAP Rocky to speak? Again, why? (laughs) 
They asked him about police brutality and protest. He said, I've been recording an album in London for a year, so I really wasn't there protesting. I can't speak about it. Nigga. Nigga. So that's my knowledge of ASAP Rocky. Other than him being like a straight up Harlem dude and actually being an okay actor. He's in a couple movies that I like. He was also in a movie I just saw recently, Monster, on Netflix. And he spent the whole movie calling everybody beloved. <laughs> Instead of like, nigga, he'd be like, what up, beloved? <laughs> it tickled me. And I should add that he did try to clean up the dumb shit that he said in another interview. Cleaning it up didn't get as much attention as the mess he made. But he attributed... Um, the negative press that he was getting. He said, you know, you do these interviews with European reporters and journalists who want to make a name for themselves and they take shit out of context. He also went on to say, quote, I don't have all the answers. I'm not trying to run for Congress or office. I want to promote prosperity, especially for black people, especially for just young people, ambitious people, underprivileged. I'm not here to talk about supremacy. Who's dominant? It's fucked up. He tried. But in this new interview in GQ, it's called ASAP Rocky is the Prettiest Man Alive, which I don't disagree with. ASAP talks about his new love, Rihanna. Apparently they've been dating for a while. He describes them going on a road trip. I want to say last year during the pandemic. He says they commandeered a massive tour bus and drove from L.A. to N.Y.C., swinging through Texas, stopping in Memphis and half a dozen other cities along the way. They threw themselves into the tradition of the great American road trip, listening to the Stones, the Grateful Dead, and Curtis Mayfield. They stopped in a few national parks. Rocky says he dropped acid and made his own clothes beatnik style, sewing, patching, and tie-dyeing shirts while on the bus. That's interesting. He loves to talk about doing drugs. Like, sir, take it easy. Don't leave too soon. Don't leave too soon. But again, I'm not getting to the important part. The important part is he talks about Rihanna and the interview describes he starts beaming like a teenager whose crush just accepted his prom invite. I could practically hear the angels singing. Rocky says, quote, Rihanna is the love of my life. They are also in a monogamous relationship. He says, I think when you know, you know. She is the one. She amounts to probably like a million of the other ones. He also talks about being a dad, which I was like, ASAP? Which I'm not mad at. It's just, you know, this is a wild departure from the persona that he usually gives off. And he was like, I'd be an incredible, remarkably overall amazing dad. I would have a very fly child. Sir is showing some growth, which he needed to. Shit. But good for him. Good for them. Good for them. He also talks about, um, remember he got locked up in Sweden? I want to say he got into a fight in the street. I don't remember what it was. It wasn't the hugest deal, but it did get his ass locked up. Sweden got different laws than America. But I remember at the time, Trump was trying to get him out and he wants to clear up that like, I didn't ask for that shit. He said he was in jail and they had CNN on and he heard Trump drop his name and he was like, wait, what? He was confused as everybody else about becoming literally an international incident. 
He said Trump made efforts and he rooted for him to come home, but he did not free him. But he is thankful, which I couldn't even be mad at because I was like, yo, if my ass was stuck in international jail, I thank Trump's ass too and be happy about it. Like, you got my ass out of jail? I mean, fuck you. You ain't shit. But thank you for bringing me home. It's the least I could do. The rest of the article is just about fashion because it's GQ, which I thought was really interesting because I want to say on the cover, he's wearing a kilt, i.e. a skirt. And in other pictures inside, he's doing this real like black dude punk goth thing. I think there might be another skirt. There's definitely a necklace of pearls. And I was like, you know, it's interesting. I like people who get out their fucking boxes. So it doesn't bother me. But I was like, that's really interesting how like I don't ever hear dudes like dragging ASAP about like his his um his nails done, the kilts, the skirts, the pearls. Nobody ever says anything to him. You know, not that I want them to drag him. It's just interesting again how people can support shit with one person and then like drag somebody else for like the exact same shit. But whatever. Speaking of men in unconventional clothing, my fave, my baby, my boo, I'm obsessed with little Nas X. I'm like obsessed with him. Old Town Road didn't really do it for me. Montero, it tipped the scales for me. I love him. I just love him. He performed on Saturday Night Live, which I didn't even hear about. It was Chris Rock and little Nas X, and I didn't know shit about it. I heard about it the next morning, and the first thing I heard about his performance was his pants ripped, and I was like, oh, no. Because I know how important Little Nas X is to the culture right now. And I know he takes so much shit. And any excuse to dump on him or dismiss him as overhyped or, or not a good artist or whatever. People just love to come for him because of the way that he challenges the status quo. But I was like, oh my God, no. No, he didn't bomb on SNL. So I went and found the clip of his performance. And... I'm already super protective of Little Nas X in general, but I'm watching the performance and it's like, it's magical. It's like going so well. And I was like, oh my God, is it all going to fall apart? Like I was like a stage parent. Even I don't know the steps, but I'm like looking, I'm just, I just want everything to be perfect. And I watched it and I didn't even catch when his pants ripped the first time. Like I watched it all the way through and I was like, one, holy shit. I can't believe all of that happened on SNL. Like, I know that SNL airs late, so the censors aren't as tight as they would usually be, even though he changed some of the words to the lyrics. Like, there's some line about cocaine that he changed to champagne. I was like, you got black men in flowing do-rags in patent leather pants with cutouts of their top ass cheeks with lip gloss. All men, no women in sight, grinding on little Nas X, licking his face and neck like it was a lot it was a lot I mean for SNL but I was like whoa there was a poll there was a lot but I say all that to say I watched it the whole way through the first time I didn't see where his pants ripped and I was like wait did they rip did I read that right and then I watched it again and I saw the moment where he realized his pants ripped He's the most adorable thing in the whole wide world. His mouth dropped in shock. And then he just went total blushingly cute. 
and had to like hold his pants so like his penis wouldn't fall out. It was like a little kid at a recital. It was the cutest thing to me. And I was like, I love him even more. Cause your pants ripped on national TV during a live performance that everyone and their mother except me was watching. And he held it all together where if you're not really paying attention, you wouldn't even know something went wrong. And I was like, sir is a professional. Little Nas X is a professional. He's so adorable. I thought it was a great performance. And then I was reading earlier that there was like so much shit behind the scenes with the performance. His choreographer, he spilled all the tea. His choreographer is Sean Bankhead. <laughs> so he posted on Instagram. He said, let me get to the wild shit. We handpicked the perfect cast of boys for this performance. Worked two long weeks vibing with each other, building and laughing. Unfortunately, as soon as we got to NYC for sound check, one person from the camp tested positive for COVID. Shit happens and the show must go on. I had to recast all six dancers and two background vocalists the day before we went live. It was a nightmare. He also had to teach the new people via Zoom. How the hell did y'all pull that off? And there were actually two performances. I didn't see the second one. I saw pictures from it. Little Nas X has a new song. I can't tell you the name of it. I have no idea what it was. I saw snippets from the video because I follow him on Instagram. But I've watched that performance of Montero no less than 10 times. I'm so proud of that kid. Little Nas X said he wanted to perform Montero at the BET Awards. Which I would like to see it. Will it happen? I think BET is ready to do it. I don't know if BET's audience is ready to receive it. But fuck it, do it anyway. It's time for folks to catch up. Let them be goddamn outraged. Let them rage about that shit. They all gonna tune in? It'll be ratings bonanza. They gonna tune in just to see it, to talk about how much they hate it and how much bullshit it was and they can't believe BET did it. They'll threaten a boycott. It's okay, they'll be back. I hope BET takes them up on his offer. I would love to see it. The audience reaction will be nonstop gifts. I would love to see it. What else is going on? Nicole Hannah-Jones, she's the creator of the 1619 Project, for which she was awarded a Pulitzer Prize. I point that out to say, she's been in the news this week. She was denied tenure by University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And let me correct myself, because I said just about that on Facebook, and one of my friends, she is a proud graduate of UNC, and she was like, ah, ah, ah. The University of North Carolina Chapel Hill's Board of Trustees denied tenure to Nicole Hannah-Jones. The actual school, the professors, they wanted her. But she was up for a job as the night chair in race and investigative journalism, for which the dean of the School of Journalism was like, yes, let's do it. She was all in. Susan King, that's her name. She was all in. She has referred to Jones as, quote, arguably the preeminent journalist of her generation. So all in. It was the Board of Trustees that blocked the tenure. Instead, Jones was offered a position, which will begin July 1st. She was offered and did accept. She was offered a position where she would serve five years as professor of the practice. And then she will have an option to be reviewed again she went through a long review process already, but she will have the option to be reviewed again for tenure at the end of her contract. Apparently, this all happened in April, and it's just coming to light now via a story by Policy Watch that talked about how Jones didn't get tenure. 
and it took off around the internet um, and in person because people, including professors, are protesting at UNC about the decision, again, from the board of trustees, not the university. This seems to be just a cut and dry example of like pure and blatant racism through and through. Like, that's it. And it's been called as much by damn near everybody. First and foremost, the position that she was being interviewed for is traditionally a tenured position. And there was no reason to think when she was up for consideration for it that she wouldn't also be tenured like most of the other people, not all, but most of the other people who have held this position. But the, the general consensus is that is that the UNC Board of Trustees is, quote, unfairly moving the goalpost and violates longstanding norms and established processes. This failure is especially disheartening because it occurred despite the support for Hannah Jones' appointment as a full professor with tenure. And that statement is from um, one made by a group of journalism professors that are outraged that Jones was not offered tenure. Robert Wright, he's the former Secretary of Labor under Bill Clinton, he just came out and called a thing a thing. Cancel culture conservatives on the University of North Carolina's Board of Trustees have denied tenure to Professor Nicole Hannah-Jones, winner of the Pulitzer Prize, because she's a black woman who tells the truth about our country. Mic drop. Did you read the 1619 Project? I didn't until I had to interview Nicole Hannah-Jones. I interviewed her for, it was right after RBG passed. And it was an organization who was lobbying to get a black woman on the Supreme Court, ideally to replace RBG. They had, a, um, they had an online summit and I interviewed Hannah Nicole Jones as the, um, I guess like the feature of, of the event. Very um, straight over the plate type woman. She's very matter of fact. But we talked about the Supreme Court stuff and then I asked her about the 1619 Project and I was like, you know, when you did this, did you expect, like, you know, this will probably get me a Pulitzer, which, you know, if you're a journalist, that's usually the end goal if you're writing about serious fare. And she was like, nope, I, I knew we were doing good work. And I'm paraphrasing. Um, I knew that, you know, we, we put a lot of time, energy, and effort. She said, I knew it would be widely read, didn't know how it would be received. Definitely wasn't thinking about a Pulitzer and definitely wasn't thinking about you know, the then president of the United States waging a by name targeted attack on her project. She never expected it to become this target in, in the culture wars. Like she had no clue. But I read it before my interview with her. If you were raised in a staunchly black household, we talked about how my parents had, 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 have, a black power fist on the mantle in the living room, it's there to this day. The 1619 Project will fill in gaps in your knowledge base, but the idea of centering black people probably ain't gonna come as much shock to black people. It's just like, oh, more atrocities against black people laid out in further detail, and now you're explaining how it's all connected. Okay. It's not like a leap of logic for black people, but I guess like if you're white and like you went to school and learned white shit about how like you're the center of the universe, I imagine that reading someone 
who isn't like kissing your ass and, and that actually there are other perspectives that matter as much, if not more so than your own, it might be a little jarring. It might be a little jarring. I found the 1619 Project fascinating, upsetting in some parts, but not jarring, not at all. But that's because I'm black and I center my black self in my black life. So, you know, but it's upsetting to many people, not just the board of trustees at UNC, but there's all sorts of states like across the country that are trying to limit any sort of teachings in schools that basically like don't center white folks or go beyond. So black people were slaves and then there was the Civil War and they weren't slaves. And then everybody became equal when Martin Luther King had a dream like sometime in the 1960s. Oh, and white people are fucking amazing. That's the version that they want to keep teaching in schools and this pushback with critical race theory, this like, nah, bruh, it's other perspectives that matter. Like your genocide of the Native Americans. We should talk about that too. The way y'all kept slavery, the psychological warfare, the torture, the violence, how y'all stole whole people from another continent and brought them here and forced them to work for hundreds of years. That matters. We should teach that too. They don't want to teach that. Speaking of the 1619 Project, do you remember the former occupant of the White House had started the 1776 Commission as a retaliation to the 1619 Project to basically go back to teaching the same misguided shit that most of us were taught about American history? I feel so bad for this woman. Although, I mean, she did accept the job, which I think is sometimes lost in this conversation. And Jones has been mostly quiet about all this going on. She did tweet, this is from May 20th. I'm recording this on the 24th. She did tweet, quote, I have been overwhelmed by all the support that you have shown me. It has truly fortified my spirit and my resolve. You all know that I will be okay, but this fight is bigger than me and I will try my best not to let you down. I'd be very surprised if she's not prepping for a Good Morning America interview or even an Oprah sit down. I think this is beyond Tamron, although Tamron would do it justice. She's a great interviewer. But I think this is probably an Oprah-esque. Maybe a Gail. Gail, CBS. I know she's going somewhere to talk. I just don't know where. Or maybe she's not. Because if she took the job, which is supposed to start in July, and she wants to keep it, would it be in jeopardy if she spoke out? I don't know. I don't know what's in those contracts. Mm-hmm. I will say, to its credit... UNC Chapel Hill faculty and students, along with the faculty executive committee, they held a special meeting earlier today on Monday. They want them to reconsider their decision. I'm reading from a statement from that group. The faculty executive committee strongly urges the board of trustees to uphold the long tradition of respect for recommendations for faculty bodies in hiring and tenure cases and to take up the matter of tenure for Nicole Hannah-Jones immediately and to explain to the fullest extent possible without violating the law the reasons for its decision. These steps must be undertaken to address a breach of trust in a process that is essential to our standing as a leading public research university. To my knowledge, and I did look, it seems weird they wouldn't say anything, so there may be something said that I just couldn't find. The Board of Trustees has not addressed why members didn't act on the tenure recommendation. We all know that's a punishment for the 1619 Project, but, but they have not offered a reason why. So I hope she gets her tenure. 
I also hope she tells UNC to go fuck themselves. And sorry, UNC, I really just think like there's all this outcry for a job that she accepted. If Jones quit before she started, I think it would make a stronger statement and give more ammo to the people who are all upset about it. I'm sure she'll do the right thing. She's a smart lady. I'm sure she'll make the decision that is best for her. But I really wanted to tell them to go fuck themselves. I'm just saying. She'll be all right. Remember earlier we talked about how sometimes people just like somebody and so they just let them do whatever they want to do. And they don't criticize them the way they might criticize other people. News broke this week that Nick Cannon in two months will be the father to his seventh child by his fifth mother of child. Baby mama. I'm trying to be politically correct. He's got the twins with Mariah. He married Mariah at 28. He didn't have any previous children that we know of when he married Mariah. But since his divorce from Mariah, he's gone on to have five other children. There was a baby a few years ago. There's a woman who had a baby, I want to say, in December. Another woman who's currently pregnant with twins. And in the most recent woman, she's seven or eight months pregnant in May. So I guess that puts that baby here by July or August. But actually, we crunched the numbers for the last three. I think, I think that three women were pregnant by him at the same time. And people have said, you know, Nick Cannon ain't nothing but Future in a turban. I mean, I mean, but Future has eight. I want to say it's eight by seven baby mamas or eight by six baby mamas. Either way, once you reach certain numbers, like, you know, one or two off doesn't really matter as much. Other people have said, Nick Cannon, he likes turbans, but he's been rapping the wrong head. Which I was like, mm, mm, yeah, it's kind of accurate. It's kind of accurate. I've seen others say, uh, <laughs> how are you raw dogging with an autoimmune disease, man? Blessed are those that ask the questions. Blessed are those that ask the questions. But I've also seen a lot of people defending the fuck out of Nick Cannon, which I was like, this is defensible? And they were like, well, yo, like Nick Cannon may have a lot of kids, but Nick Cannon got the money to afford them. So does Future. But y'all drag the fuck out of Future. In fairness to Nick Cannon, though, he always does keep a job. I mean, like 20 years of faithful work. Even when he got fired from, not MTV, I love to point this out, all Viacom entities. He still had NBC which is a network job. He's the host of a network show. Nick Cannon and his kids were never going to starve during that Viacom debacle, which by the way, they had a change of heart and was like, okay, Nick, you can come back now. Nick also has a, a late night talk show. We talked about Nick Cannon's work ethic before. The man does work. Let me, let me give credit where it's due. The man does work. He and Steve Harvey. And you know who else? Morris Chestnut. Morris Chestnut just got picked up for, um, this, what's that Lee Daniels show that's coming out? Our Kind of People? Morris Chestnut is going to be in that too. Morris Chestnut keeps a job and quietly a network job. We might not be watching everything he does, but he be in a good like network white TV show under a contract getting steady, well-paid checks. I appreciate a man who works hard. And also, you know, looks like Morris Chestnut because he's, he's 50. He's fine as fuck. Jesus. That's not the point. The point is, I didn't know people loved Nick Cannon as much as they did because people are excusing the fuck out of him having all these kids with all these different women at 40. I was like, impregnating a bunch of women randomly is usually some shit men in their 20s do, your early 20s. I mean, 
I guess you're still figuring out how like your dick works, how condoms work. But I was like, I feel like 40 is usually where people start to like sort their stuff out. And Nick Cannon is just, remember that Ayana episode where it was like a man that had like 23 kids and Ayana was like, yo, like you're working out your unaddressed traumas and your psychological pathological bullshit by impregnating all these different women. Because, like, you're doing shit that's detrimental to you. Like, you can't afford all these kids. You can't take care, like, emotional care, be involved and present with all of these kids that you're creating. Seven in four different households, plus all this work he's doing? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, possibly, likely, no. People are excusing this shit. People are like, oh, you know. You know, well, well he has, a, you know, an autoimmune disease. You know, when, when you face death, you look at life differently. And maybe he's, you know, creating all these children as part of his legacy to leave behind. Really? Let a woman have seven kids by four different dudes. Actually, we had Tanya on the show and she was like, I got six kids by four different dudes. And a good chunk of the episode was how people dragged her for having multiple children with multiple men. Okay, Nick Cannon doing the same shit. We excusing this shit? Okay. Coming up with wild shit. Well, you know, Nick Cannon has said that he doesn't believe in monogamy. Does monogamy mean, like, impregnate a bunch of different women? At the same damn time at that. Like, in what world is it okay to have three women pregnant, two women pregnant? That's not just blatant and clear fuckboy behavior? We're making excuses for that shit now? Let a woman be pregnant. With one child and be like, it's three different possible men that could be the father. Oh my God. What kind of Maury guest do you purport yourself to be, man? How dare you be pregnant and have to guess at who the father of your child is? Shame. Nick Cannon? Well, you know. Like I said, I had no idea people loved Nick Cannon that much. Because that's some fuckboy shit if I've ever heard it. Well, you know. You know. Okay. I really don't have anything else to say about that shit. I just wanted to point out the dysfunction that is occurring here. What's the other word? Not hypocrisy. The double standard. The double standard. And bias. And bias that y'all have, some of y'all have, for Mr. Cannon. I didn't know. I did not know. We got to talk about Brother Kwame Brown. And just, just up front, I ain't saying nothing negative about Kwame Brown. I do some shit. I don't want Kwame Brown making no videos, driving around in his cowboy hat, telling the whole world the worst of my business. I don't, I don't need Kwame Brown doing that to me. I'm good. Mr. Brown, we have no problems, Mr. Brown. I have nothing negative to say about Mr. Brown. Y'all are all well-versed in this story right now. I don't need to give you the whole backstory. Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson, we've talked about Mr. Jackson so many times on here. I've started to notice that where there are hijinks and shenanigans, Mr. Jackson is often found. That is, that is disappointing. But Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson have a podcast together. And on said podcast, they invited guest Gilbert Arenas. They are all former NBA players of, of varying popularity and success. And in the course of their conversation, they began to discuss Mr. Brown, Kwame Brown. Um, if you are not familiar with Kwame Brown, Part of that is because he don't really say shit. I haven't heard Kwame Brown's name in maybe 15 years, but he wasn't the type of guy that was always involved in some shit. Like he wasn't like a Dennis Rodman where he was doing stuff 
on the court or even off the court that blended over from sports conversations into like mainstream entertainment pop culture conversations. That's not who Kwame Brown was. He played for the Wizards for a while. That was his first team. And I remember stories about him. My introduction to Kwame Brown was knowing that Jordan was was the GM for the Wizards, again, the home team, and he selected this guy as the number one draft pick, and it was supposed to be a really big deal for the D.C. team. I'd gone off to live in New York at the time, so I wasn't really paying much attention to what happened in D.C., but my best friend, still my best friend for the last 20 years, Kevin, is a sports junkie, and... And whenever he sees an article that he thinks is like really well written about something sports related to this day, he'll still spend, he'll still send it to me because he knows I'm into the writing and the words and he's into the sports and we find this like common ground to like bond here. So he sent me this article and I remember reading it. I remember details from it when I read it in 2002. The Washington Post did this feature story on this guy named Kwame Brown. And I was like, oh, yeah, like he was supposed to be like a big deal. Whatever happened to him? And Kevin was like, read the fucking story. And you can look it up. If you type in Kwame Brown, Washington Post, French dressing, it'll come up as no later than the third story in your Google search. It's a long story. Take the time to read it. But it's a feature story about where Kwame Brown came from, how he arrived in D.C. as an 18-year-old who basically knew nothing about how to take care of himself. It's like he'd never lived alone. He didn't know how to go grocery shopping. He didn't know how to go to the dry cleaners. So he gets to D.C., which sometimes people treat D.C. as a very like small, out-of-touch town, country even, because of the D.C. accent, but it is not. It's a fast-moving city full of type A vultures. People who work in politics... There are a lot of people who are very much do-gooders and want to save the world. Other people are obsessed with the power. D.C. is split like 75 power, 25% do-gooder. That said, this kid from like the backwoods of Neverwhere, and I say kid because he's 18, ends up in the NBA, in D.C., tons of money, doesn't know what to do with it, doesn't know how to take care of himself. He's just lost. And when he starts playing with the Wizards, they're disappointed because they're like, yo, you're six fucking 11. You're a fucking giant. Do giant shit. And he's like, yeah, I don't know how. He's 18 years old, but his lungs are not fully formed to his body. And this is all stuff you can read in the article. They're trying to do drills with him in practice. And he's like, yeah, like, you know, I know high school shit because we did high school shit because I was in high school. But like, you're talking to me about professional shit, shit. And like, I just graduated. Like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what to do. The coaches, Jordan, the GM, who also becomes a player while Kwame's there, like they're frustrated as fuck with him because they're just like, act like a fucking professional NBA player. And he's like, I can't, I don't know how. So like they bully the fuck out of him. It gets so bad that his skin breaks out. His confidence is depleted. They have to bring in someone to basically act like a father figure to him and like teach him that French restaurants don't serve French dressing and get him to stop carrying around a bottle of French dressing almost as like an emotional support salad dressing. 
So when people like the guys on this podcast make fun of Kwame Brown and they talk about how he was, what was the word? Oh, what was the phrase Arenas used? A show pony and how he didn't live up to his potential and how he was a bust. When they bring up shit like that, maybe they're just talking sports and maybe it's just ha ha for them. But for Kwame Brown, the shit was tragic. Please read this Washington Post article so you can fully understand exactly what Kwame Brown was going through as an 18-year-old rookie. For all these years, I've never heard Kwame Brown flip. Maybe the sports people can tell me differently. I've been talking about this story on various platforms for the better part of a week now, over a week even, and no one's been like, oh no, he's flipped on this shit like 50 million times before. Again, these guys do this podcast, Kwame Brown gets word of it, and he makes this video and he was like, yo, I've never said anything negative about any of the people in this room that are dragging me. I'm a grown ass man. I played for 12 years. I got out of poverty. I bought my mama a house when I was 18, just like I said I would. I made $60 million. Like, leave me the fuck alone. That's where he starts. And then he just goes the fuck off. Like, he gets 20 years worth of bullshit off of his chest. He talks about Matt Barnes and that unfortunate situation with Derek Fisher's. Fisher started dating Matt Barnes, then a strange wife. I don't think they were fully divorced at the time. Remember that time Matt Barnes went speeding down the highway at 90 miles an hour trying to beat Derek Fisher's ass? He talked about that. He talked about, uh, he talked about Matt Barnes. I think you called him Becky with the good hair. He talked about his finger waves. He talked about Steven Jackson and, and uh, some of his uh, entanglements with various women and how he tricks he talked about that. He talked about Gilbert Arenas, but I can't remember what he said about him. But he went in and he kept going in. And he was like, nigga, y'all got jokes about basketball. I got jokes about y'all life. And then he made them over and over and over and over. Other people jumped into the conversation in various degrees. Jamel Hill, she wasn't even jumping in. She wasn't even, she wasn't even trying to be mixy. She wasn't trying to be out of pocket or nothing. You know how people be like, choose violence. There's a little meme with like a button and the button is turned to green. And she was like, she, she, she quipped something like, you know, Kwame Brown woke up this morning and chose violence. Kwame Brown, I don't think is very proficient in like random internet talk. So he was like, are you trying to say I'm violent? No, no, sir. No, no, that's not what she meant. He was basically like, you know, you could get some too. And she was like, no, 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 no. I, this, is a, this is a joke from Game of Thrones. I don't want no heat. I don't want no problems. I don't want no problems with you. Be well, Mr. Brown. Carry on as you see fit. Gilbert Arenas, I don't remember what Kwame Brown said about him, but when he started flipping out, Gilbert Arenas was like, yeah, I don't want that smoke. And he proceeded to tell some story about how Kwame Brown and his brother were at a club, and, they, and like it took 20 bouncers to get them out the club, and then when they got outside, they each fought three bouncers, and he was like, y'all don't, don't want that smoke. All the smoke, y'all can have that smoke. I don't want this smoke. I think Gilbert Arenas like bowed out. I think Kwame said they, they, they talked offline and they, they settled their shit and they was good. Mac Barnes, he kept going for a while. He tried to clean it up at first. At first, he went on some sports show. I don't know. But he was like, yeah, I heard Kwame Brown was saying these things. I was out with my kids. I didn't, you know, I wasn't really up to date. Like, you know, people had to tell me when I was done spending family time. And Kwame Brown was like, you was out with your kids or Derek Fisher was out with your kids? I was like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, shots fired. 
Shots fired. And Matt Barnes invited Kwame on the show and he was like, you know, we got all this conversation. Why don't you come on the show and talk about it? And Kwame Brown was like, fuck you, fuck your show. I'm not coming on. Like you had all that shit to say on your show. I have all that shit to say now on my own platforms. I don't think that will happen. He went at Charlemagne, but you know, in general, I have warm feelings about Charlemagne. He's not a perfect person, but I, I see, I actively see him trying to do better. And you know my favorite line, there is grace for those that seek it. But Charlemagne went on The Breakfast Club and he was talking about all this drama with Kwame Brown and he's from the same place that Kwame Brown is. So he said he went to school with Kwame Brown's sister. And then he proceeded to just spill some family tea, which I was listening to, and it's in the Washington Post article. I'm not going to recount what it is because I don't want issues. I don't want issues with Mr. Brown. Charlamagne recapped some shit. And even like when I was watching the clip, I was like, bruh, bruh, what are you doing? He said he was trying to defend Kwame. And I was like, that, that wasn't the defense. You know, the defense is, you know what? Y'all been at this man for 20 years and he's had a hard life that he's overcome. And maybe I should just shut the fuck up and leave him alone. That was a good defense. Running down the family history wasn't really the defense he thought it was. And so Mr. Brown came for Charlemagne. He dredged up some old shit on Charlemagne. And then Funkmaster Flex, who is no fan of Charlemagne, took the baton and ran with it. Like this shit has gotten ugly. I read that Charlemagne sent a cease and desist to Kwame Brown. I don't know how true that is. I could ask Charlemagne, but I'm not hitting him to ask him that shit. But Charlemagne did make himself donkey of the day today. Again, he's made himself donkey of the day before, but he did it again this morning on the Breakfast Club and offered a repeated apology to the Brown family for the information that he shared on the radio. He said, I wasn't doing intentional harm when I shared it. It was later when he got calls from back home. He named off some names and I was like, oh, that's like your people in them. That's like your mama's friends in them. You got folks looking at your mama crazy in church. Like, this is who you raised? This is your son? Because he gave a heartfelt apology on The Breakfast Club this morning. Like, he completely fell on the sword and then, like, wriggled around on it and, like, just made it just until he got all the way to the bottom. Just tortured. Tortured himself. Just, it was like a full, like, self-emoliation. Yeah, and I was like, oh, your people got in your ass. They got in your ass this weekend. Which he deserves. So he said he caused unintentional harm, but he was intentionally trying to make the situation better and to do better. He acknowledged that an apology was not enough, that it was a place to start, but he wanted to at least start because he knew he was dead ass wrong. And I was like, oh, your mama called you. That level of apology, your mother called you and told you your ass was wrong and you need to fix the shit. My mom called me about something I said on TV once. She told me she laughed when she heard it, and she said, but that was wrong. I said, but mommy, it was true. And she said, it was true. And she said, and still, you need to apologize. You went too far. You went too far, Demetria. I won't repeat it, because I went too far, but it was true. Still, because you can say things doesn't mean you need to say things. So, I'm glad he apologized. He needed to. He needed to. I wish that, like, Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson, have they apologized? Because literally, Kwame Brown has been minding his business all this time. 
And I was like, I thought we learned in middle school. I said this on Instagram. I was like, I thought we learned in middle school to leave the quiet people the fuck alone. I don't know about your middle school, but like the quiet person never just like flipped out one day and beat the shit out of somebody. And you were like, oh shit, that's wild. That's crazy. I don't know. Happened at mine. Ah, well, they, they learned the hard way. Kwame might still be dragging them. I haven't logged on to the ratcheter side of the internet. So that's the episode for this week. I'm sure there's other things that we didn't talk about, but we have a Friday episode. What we didn't get to today, we'll get to, well, not tomorrow, but Friday. If you've not picked up your Don't Waste Your Pretty Teas, they're going. We only have extra larges left in the teas. I think we have all sizes left in the Vs, at least for the white and gold. I want to say the pink and red is only 2X left. There's only a couple of those. If you would like your Don't Waste Your Pretty Teas, they are available on DemetriaLLucas.com. I want to tell you something very exciting about Don't Waste Your Pretty, but I can't. Not yet. Not yet. But yeah, so if you need some ratchet and respectable in your life between now and Friday, especially if you need TV recaps, because I usually do This Is Us. Pose. Pose was really good last night. It was so good. Although I'm pissed at Angel. As a TV character, if it was real life, I wouldn't be. But as a TV character, I'm like, girl, you better give me my fucking wedding. What's the other one? Pose, Handmaid's Tale. What else did I recap? Snow falls off. This is us. I feel like there's something. Oh, All American. Sometimes I do All American. It just depends on my schedule. But if you need some ratchet and respectable, or you need some, um, some TV recaps, you need a group to discuss your favorite shows with, please follow me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Demetria L. Lucas. Not everything, but enough. We'll talk again on Friday. Okay, bye.